0: Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 9 and 10 today. I said it a while ago, and I want to say it again. What a wonderful thought to realize that we're in 2004. It's hard to believe. I believe in this service, you'll be the only ones that would understand this. Younger folks hadn't caught it yet. Isn't it interesting how fast time flies? It's incredible to me. It seems like just yesterday, we were celebrating the beginning of 2003. Here we are in 2004. I guess we could say it like the two frogs. One frog looked at the other one and said, you know what? Life sure is fun when you're having flies. And. The other one looked at it and said, yeah, they'd laugh too if they could eat what's bugging them. You know, so anyway. (laughs) The beauty of it, the beauty of being in 2004 to me is that nobody has ever lived this year before. Have you ever thought of that? I I mean, history is being made as I stand right here and as you're sitting out there. History is being made. Nobody's ever lived 2004. It's kind of like in school when you have a brand new semester. Oh, I remember those days. No class cuts. No late for class, no flunking the test. Awesome, brand new piece of paper, brand new pencils, and a teacher that doesn't know you yet. (laughs) I mean, it's wonderful. (laughs) Just a brand new beginning, a brand new beginning. Every choice that we make today and tomorrow and whenever is a choice that is affecting history. It's making history. And the newness of a brand new year to me has to be refreshing in every one of our minds we can choose in 2004 to yield to the spirit of god as we've learned in galatians or we can choose to yield to our flesh and all of us have perhaps made some bad choices i have in 2003 but the good thing is i've got a brand new opportunity in 2004 matter of fact paul puts this whole thing in a different context he said that it's like sowing seed and so here we are as sowers, beginning 2004, and we can sow seed into the field of the flesh, or we can sow seed into the field of the Spirit. And understanding that when you sow, it's always with the, under, with the realization you want to reap something back. Either choice will reap a consequence, will bear a consequence, because that's what sowing is all about. It To me, it illustrates it in such a beautiful, picturesque way of making choices. You're sowing. You're sowing, and there's something going to be returned as a result of that sowing. Sowing in the field of the Spirit is what we've been looking at in chapter 6, and it's so beautiful. This is our opportunity in 2004, mine, yours, all of ours as believers, that we can sow. And what happens is if when we sow in the field of the Spirit, it reaps such a beautiful consequence in the body of Christ. In verse 1 of chapter 6 tells us that we become sensitive to a brother who has sinned, isn't incredible? We incredible? Our eyes are not on ourselves anymore. We begin to see others for the first time. And we see that they make some wrong choices. And so we're willing to come alongside and, and help them understand how to sow in the right field. Verse 2 told us that we will be moved to bear one another's burdens. Only God can do that. That's supernatural. That's not natural. And then verse 3 shows us that Christ in us won't allow us to help other people for any kind of personal recognition. God won't do that, won't allow that, because His Spirit will not allow that. Verse four shows us that we won't compare what we do with what others do. We won't do that. We don't get in this idea of competitiveness because that's just not the Spirit of God. That's not what is, is, is harvested out of the field of the Spirit. And verse five teaches us that when we're walking by the Spirit, we'll understand that we have our own responsibility God will put different individuals on your heart as he'll put different individuals on my heart. And we have to follow that individually as well as corporately we come together to, to do the things God's asked us to do. But the true signal of the fact that we're sowing in the right field is interesting to me that Paul brings out in verse 6. And that's what we do with our finances. And that's so strange to me. It's, it's always fascinated me how treasures are such a, 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 an indicator of a person's love relationship with God. Jesus used more verses to share about treasures than he did hell. I mean, it's a very. he told his disciples, look out, look out, that's going to be a litmus test. That's going to be a trap that you might fall into. And what he talks about in verse 6, he says, the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. And what he basically does, he just shows us that there's a criteria for who you support. You support the people that honor the Word of God because the power is in the Word. And it's God's Word. It's our authority. And he says you support those people, not only those pastors that work with you. You support missionaries, others that honor the Word of God. Well, sowing will bring a harvest. No matter what we choose, no matter what, if there's a consequence that comes back. And Paul makes certain that we understand this in all context of life when he says in verse 7 and 8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And as we saw the last time that meant, God's not allowing himself to be sneered at. God God won't do that. It's not affecting him at all. What Paul is saying is when we make our choices to sow in other fields, when we choose not to sow in the field of the flesh, but in the field, I mean the spirit, field of the Spirit, but we choose to, to sow in the field of the flesh, it's going to reap a consequence. And it's not going to affect God. It's going to affect us. He says, for what, whatever a man sows, whatever choice that man makes, he says, that this will he also reap. And then he gives the two choices in verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Well, this is where we are today. We've, we've seen now what it means to sow in the right field. And now what Paul is going to do in the next two verses, he's got a caution, a warning, and you'll be surprised perhaps to hear this, but to those who are sowing in the right field. He's got a caution to, to, for those who are doing it right, who are living and walking by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit of God. It shouldn't surprise any of us that the flesh lurks around us at all times. When we're doing it wrong, it's got us in its grip. But when we're doing it right, it's there to try to get us back off track. It's always there. We have to be conscious of it. The victory of yesterday does not necessarily carry me to the victory of tomorrow or today. I've got to make the same choices today that I made yesterday to walk in the victory that is mine in Christ Jesus and so with all of us. So there are three things that I want to share. Hopefully it will encourage you as we enter into 2004, as as we begin to think of the beautiful field out there that we can sow in, the field of the Spirit, to to make our choices to say yes to Christ and to His Word and the beautiful results of the harvest that will come from those choices. Three things. First of all, the trap. Paul shares the trap in doing good. Now there is a trap. He says in Galatians 6-9, and he jumps right to the point, And let us not lose heart in doing good. What is the trap? Losing heart. Paul's warning here is to those who are doing good. Doing good. Those who are walking by the Spirit. Those who have been led by the Spirit or being led by the Spirit. This is who he's talking to. And it's a caution that he's giving. There's a trap that lurks near us. The word for doing is the word poeo. Poeto is the word that refers to a deed that somebody does, as you see on the screen. Here it's referring to the individual deeds that we've seen many of them outlined in chapter 6 that's taking place by those who are walking in the Spirit of God, making the right choices. It's in the present tense, so it's their lifestyle. It's not a one-time thing. This is a pattern that you can pretty well predict in these people's lives. The believer is allowing the Spirit of God to work through his life. The word good is the word kalos. Kalos is an interesting word. We we have one word in English, but they have two words in the Greek for the word good. Uh, it's inherent good. It's constitutional good. It's that which is inwardly pure. It talks of the very essence of what's being done. And this is very key. In verse six and in verse ten, he uses another word for good. All this is in the same context. Uh, the, in verse 6, he says, and let the one who is taught share all good things. And then in verse 10, he says, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. Now in verse 6 and in verse 10, the word is agathos. And agathos is the word that means benevolent good, that which benefits somebody. Basically, that word in verse 6 and in verse 10 stresses the what that is being done in other words, it's, it's that which benefits. It's, it talks about how it helps another individual. But the word kalos is different. The word kalos has more the idea of the inward nature of what's being done. And when you use the word kalos, it means it's inherently good. It's constitutionally good. There's no deceit in it. There's nothing in it whatsoever that's impure. That's a pure deed that's being done for somebody. There's nothing with self in it at all. It's done with a pure motive. Now, in the context of Galatians, especially in Galatians, that word would be used to point to the Lord Jesus Christ, the who that is behind the doing. He's the only one that is totally pure. He's the only one that is totally good. And so, therefore, it's, it's speaking here of Christ who lives in us, which is our theme of the whole book of letting Jesus be Jesus in us. And what Paul is saying is this person that's doing good deeds is not just some religious man that claims that what he's doing is good. But this is a believer letting Jesus be Jesus in him. And the good that's being done is inherently good. It is in its purest form because it's not coming from him. It's coming from Christ that lives within him. These two words for good don't contradict each other. But the reason they have two words is each one brings out a different aspect of the good That is being done. It's it's just Jesus being Jesus in us. Now he says there's a trap here. There's a trap when we're letting Jesus be Jesus in us. Can you imagine? And the trap is, and here it comes, that we want to see the results of what is being done. Anybody who's a human being wants to see the result of letting Jesus be Jesus in him. But in that is a trap, a temptation. We want to measure what's being done. And certainly we all come up in our day and time, and, and the world's way is to measure everything. If it's not big, then it's not right. If it's not this, if it's not that. But this is the trap. This is a trap. And Paul's warning them. He says, and let us not lose heart in doing good. Now the word lose heart is the word egg cacao. The word means to revert back to the flesh. It could be used in a battle scene of somebody who turns coward and runs. He runs back to what he shouldn't, he doesn't stay on the front lines. Uh, It's the idea of walking in the spirit and letting Jesus be Jesus in you, but suddenly dawning on you that, hey, wait a minute, I can do this better. God, excuse me, don't call me, I'll call you. And we try it our own way. And so the word then, losing heart, has to do with that idea of reverting back to fleshly ways and fleshly means of what we do that's an interesting thought here's a believer I mean come on Wayne you've been encouraging us to walk in the Spirit and you and to be led by the Spirit here's a believer that seeking to do it right and the things that are flowing out of his life speaks of God and, and brings glory to him what in the world could cause him to lose heart well this trap that we speak of he may not see it's the very deceitful trap For he continues in verse 9 and explains, for in due time, in other words, when it's time to reap, uh, every harvest comes when it's ready, only when it's ready. A farmer can't predict that all the time. It's going to be when God says it's ready. For in due time, we shall reap if we do not grow weary. And so he takes the word lose heart and grow weary, and he ties it to the reaping of what has been sown. And we must remember that we don't reap overnight. That's part of the law of the harvest. It is when we want immediate results. We want to try to measure what's been done, that the temptation to turn back to the flesh, which, by the way, will always produce results. It will produce results, but it will not be of God. And that's the trap that Paul warns them of. Flesh can produce results, but they're not of God. The trap is to revert back to that old do mentality, that religious idea that if I can just do more, God will do more. And we do things in our own efforts, and as a result of that, we lose heart. The Galatians knew this trap very well. This is exactly the context of why we've studied this book of a group of people that had been walking in the Spirit. Paul even says one time, you have been running well. Who has hindered you in other words, you were doing it, right? What's happened? And what had happened was they had chosen to go back to doing it their own way, which is that flesh trap that's always there. If it's not happening quick enough, if it's not happening big enough, we have that tendency, all of us do, to go back and doing it our way. Paul says don't grow weary in doing good. Don't revert back to the flesh. It's a trap. Reverting back to the flesh is a temptation we all have when we can't see immediately the results of what God's doing in our life. Uh, Evelyn Christensen wrote a book that's kind of interesting to me. It's called Lord Change Me. Some of you probably have read that. Evelyn Christensen said that she she prayed that her husband would change. (laughs) And I know many wives out there are not going to admit it, but you've been praying the same thing for a long time diane and i've been married 34 and a half years and i think she's not stopped yet <laughs> hopefully before she dies she'll see the change. and she just she prayed and prayed and prayed but she never saw any results has that happened in your life you come before god and your heart is as pure as gold and and you just simply say lord god will you change my husband will you change my wife will you change my children well nothing happened for years this went on and finally she just got to the point she said god evidently i've missed it you're not going to do anything with my husband so therefore god Will you just simply use my husband to change me? And she wrote the book, Lord, Change Me. And it's a funny thing. God began to change her. Didn't change her husband at first. Began to change her. And you know what? When he changed her, her husband changed. And that's the beautiful thing about this. When you come before God, you're coming before him. And only he knows the end. And only he knows the time. And only he knows what he's doing so therefore you come before him and you just simply trust him when nothing's going on there's no visible results we just continue to trust him because we know that if we're sowing in the right field at some point that harvest is going to come up and it's a beautiful thing but the trap is when we revert back to the flesh you can get immediate results by doing things of the flesh and that's the problem that's the downside and that's what paul warns these precious believers about secondly I want to share with you the temptations in in doing good. We've seen one of them, and that is to measure everything that we're doing. But there are many temptations that will bring us back to reverting to the flesh. And this is a sort of a caution that, that came in my study that maybe encouraged you and it encouraged me. It's so interesting how losing heart or growing weary is a theme many times by Paul in the New Testament. We see again here in chapter 6, it has to do with wanting to see the result. Lord, I, I'm doing everything you've told me to do. I'm saying yes to you. I'm letting you be who you are in me. But Lord, I'm not seeing any results. And so the temptation is, okay, I'll get results. And you turn back your own way. But here's, an, here's some other traps there. There's some other temptation. The trap is the same. The trap is reverting back to the flesh. But we find another one in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10-13. through Interesting how Paul brings this same idea up in a different context. This context is not trying to measure what you, what's going on in your life. This one is interesting. This one comes, the temptation comes to go back to the flesh when, when living right, doing good, surrendering to Christ, sowing in the right field just gets a little boring. And it's not as exciting as it used to be. It's just not enough going on in your life. And, and so, therefore, Paul says, be careful, because the good things he talks about in Thessalonians that they're doing has to do with their personal responsibilities in life. Personal responsibilities like taking care of the family, uh, going to work every day, paying bills. Matter of fact, we could throw in taking out the trash. <laughs> it's got to be in there somewhere. But just doing the, net, the over everyday responsible things of life. And the Apostle Paul says you have to be careful. Because it, this might not be appealing to your flesh. This might not be emotional and exciting. And sometimes when that happens, you will turn back to the flesh. You'll find something that appeals to your flesh. It may be emotional. It probably is because emotions are only of the flesh. And so therefore, you may appeal to you. He says, don't do that. Don't go that way. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. In other words, you're minding everybody else's business and not taking care of your own. And in verse 12, Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren... As for you, and I love that, he turns it. In other words, some of you are doing it right. He says, as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. When the mundane things of life get boring, I mean, when when the responsibilities of just being a father and a husband and and taking care of the family and going to work and getting a paycheck and paying taxes and, and doing what is responsible down here, when somehow that is not any longer exciting Paul says, look out. There's going to be a temptation for you to reach over and try to grab something from the flesh that's more emotional, that's more exciting, that's a little little bit uh, of a difference in your life. He said that is a temptation. Just because you don't feel spiritual when you're walking surrendered to him does not mean you're not doing it right. And don't look for the big splash and don't look for the big emotion. Just continue on and be steady. There's a word in Greek that has to do with uh, power but you can get two words out of it. One is dynamite, and the other is dynamo. A dynamite makes a loud noise and certainly is emotional, and it stirs up a lot of dust, but you ever notice how quickly it settles? But a dynamo is something that's consistent every single day. It continues to do what's necessary, whether the emotion is there or not. And Paul says, look out, look out. When life begins to be not exciting in your fleshly understanding of it, be careful. There's a temptation to reach over and try to find an experience, to try to find something that will make your life a little more exciting. You know, some people in life just have that personality. We had a guy in our church in Chattanooga. <laughs> he was the most bland human being I've ever seen. I don't play poker, but I guarantee in a poker game he would be the better. He would be the winner. I mean, you'd never know where he was. You never knew. And it looked like his whole life was just Bleh. And that's the way he lived, but you know what? He was one of the most consistent Christians I've ever known because he was just who he was filled with God and doing the things that God has told him to do. Be careful. Be careful when somehow your life is not exciting. Be careful when you can't measure the results of what God's doing through your life. There's a, there's a temptation to go back to that trap, to revert to the flesh. We don't want to do that. Well, We see those two temptations, but the third one that I I want to show you is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. A different area, but a different temptation. When you're doing good, the temptations are always there to go back to the flesh. In, in, In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul is talking about ministry. And he's talking about ministry that is received from God, not achieved for god have you caught that yet that ministry is not something we've set at a table and plan to do ministry is something that flows out of our walk with god when we're sowing in the right field when we're letting his word renew our minds and his spirit transform our life ministry just flows out of that because it's not us doing for him it's him doing through us and the apostle paul says be careful when you forget that ministry is something you receive instead of something you achieve you're going to lose heart He says in verse 1 of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians, Therefore, since we have this ministry, and when did he get it? As we received mercy. He points back to his salvation experience. The day he was saved, God already had a plan and a purpose for his life. He says, we do not lose heart. Because our ministry didn't come from us. Our ministry came from him. And anything he initiates, he sustains. We don't have to bear the pressure of results. We don't have to bear the pressure of anything other than saying yes to him, allowing him to do through us what he wants to do. But when we forget this, and how many times in my life have I forgotten it? We revert back to doing it in our own strength, in our own power, according to the flesh. And as a result of it, we immediately lose heart. There's no joy when you choose to achieve ministry. There's no joy at all. The flesh always produces a weariness in one's life. In verse 9 of Galatians 6, it says, And let us not lose heart in doing good. And then he says, For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. And that grow weary is a different word than what he uses with lose heart. It's the word ekluo. It means to faint. It means to faint. A little different than reverting back to the flesh. When you revert back to the flesh, you will faint, dead away, because there's no power, there's no energy, there's a weariness that comes into your bones. It's, just, it's like you can't do it anymore, because of the flesh. God never said we could, but He always said He would. I've done a lot of weddings in my life. I remember one year I did 17 straight, and I'm <laughs> that's a lot of time. It's interesting things that happen at weddings. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen at a baptism or a wedding or a funeral. I guarantee you. And I remember the people that would faint in those weddings. Have you ever noticed that? And they tell them to eat, not to bend their, not to hold their legs straight or lock their knees. And in this particular wedding, nobody paid any attention, I guess. And the guy that fainted, the couple had come down. I walked down to meet them. I was just getting ready to say, who gives this bride to be married? And the kicker for the university of tennessee chattanooga football team biggest guy on the whole place passes out and if the steps were about like these steps and he fell and hit every single step almost with emphasis as he went down and rolled out and just laid there well the the, the grooms the blood in, in his face just drained out and he ran over to him i didn't even look i knew exactly what had happened i just stood there Finally, the groom came back, and I said, you know, I'm not worried about him. He's going to be fine. I'm worried about you, <laughs> or are we going to be able to make it through this thing? When somebody faints, there's no energy. Just, it's like, you ever, have you ever fainted? And it's just like you just get lightheaded, and you just pass out. That's exactly the word here. You know, I, I've come to a conclusion. I want you to weigh on it and, and pray on it to see if I'm right. I believe when a person's walking by the Spirit, walking in the energy of the Spirit of God, There is no such thing as burnout in his life. He can be tired physically, but he'll never be spiritually drained of God's power. And there's a difference. When you're drained of God's power and when you just simply can't do it anymore, it's a pretty good test that you've been working in the flesh. You have fallen into that trap, that ministry you're trying to achieve rather than receive it from the Lord Jesus Christ. So the temptations are three that we've given. The first one is to revert, the trap is to revert back to the flesh. And the first temptation to do that comes when you have to see immediate results. When the reaping is not coming quick enough and you want to make something happen. The second one is when the responsible life that God leads us to is not as exciting anymore. We've got to create some emotion to make everybody feel like that something's happening. And the third one is... Is when we get to the point we forget that ministry is received and it's not achieved. So we see the trap and we see some temptations. And by the way, there are more times that those words are used. And it'd be a great Bible study for you to do on your own to look up the times that lose heart or growing weary is used in Scripture and realize the things that God's trying to say to all of us. But thirdly, the twofold test of doing good. Now, what is the test? How do I know, Wayne, that I'm living and walking by the Spirit? How do I know that I'm doing it right. Well, he gives us another test. One of them is when the love is there, but here comes another one. It says in verse 10, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Now, the word opportunity here is the good translation. It means a season. You know how seasons will come and seasons will go. In fact, our whole lifetime, from the time that we are saved to the time that we die, could be translated in, into this word. A season. It's an opportunity. Although you can, you can break it down into smaller fragments. We have an opportunity this afternoon when we go out to eat or whatever, and we see somebody in need, and, and God moves upon us to meet that need. I mean, it can come in increments, or you can look at it as a, as, as a huge thing. But it's an opportunity. It's, it's a season of the year. And Paul seizes this thought of a season, of an opportunity. He says, while we have this opportunity... And the present indicative is used there, which he's telling them we're in the midst of it right now. So he wants to make sure he's got their attention. So then while we have opportunity, look what he says. Let us do good. That's, that's important, but that's not as important as what he says next. Let us do good to how many men? What does it say? To all men. Now, there's a twofold test in that little phrase right there, all men. Let me, look at, let me show you the verb. The verb's in the present tense, which means this is a lifestyle. This is predictable in your life. Subjunctive mood. Some people will and some people won't. It's kind of iffy. And then he uses a middle passive verb, which is a deponent verb. Let me explain that to you. Don't be confused by that. Middle voice simply means make this choice. Be making this choice all the time to do good to all men. Passive voice is another other part of that, which means as a result of god's love working in your own heart passive voice means it's a re- it's because of something something's happening to you which causes you to make a choice we don't have that tense or that verb in, a, in the english language so it's hard to explain but when you use a deponent verb it means yes we should be choosing this but there's a reason we should be choosing this and that's because god lives in us and his love is having an effect upon our life and, ma- and matter of fact we will never make this choice unless god moves us and motivates us to do it But here's the test. Let us do good. Be continuing to do good because of that which he's done for you and to you and is doing in you. He said, let us do good to all men. The word all, pas, means all. To each and every person. Now understand what he's saying here. He says regardless of color. Doesn't matter if they're black. Doesn't matter if they're Indian. Doesn't matter if they're Oriental. it Doesn't matter if they're Caucasian. It doesn't matter. You do good to all men, regardless of any prejudice, regardless of whether or not, here comes the test, that they're believers or they're unbelievers. It doesn't matter. You do good to all men. This is the first, the first part of the test is to all men, to the lost, basically the lost people. We do good to them just like we do to each other, lost people. If you keep reading in verse 10, we'll see that people both inside and outside the church are included. So he's not just talking about the body of Christ within the walls of the church. That's that's his particular point. He says, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men and especially, and that's important, to those who are of the household of the faith. Especially those of the household of the faith. The word for household there is the word ekaos. Beautiful word for the family. It refers to all the participants of a, a particular family. Isn't it neat? that you're my brother, I'm your brother, and, and your sister, you're, you're my sister, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're going to be together forever, isn't that incredible? And we're part of the household of the faith, and so he says you do good, especially in the household of the faith. If you're going to have it at all, it ought to be in here, but he says to do it good to all men. In other words, you don't just come to church and be kind to everybody that you like and love Jesus. But you also go out to the restaurant that afternoon. And you're not cruel when you order beans and the little waitress brings you peas and they're cold. You're not cruel to them. How, that little waitress doesn't want to work there anyway. And her husband probably left her and she's got children at home and she doesn't have any child support. And she's trying to do the very best she can possibly do. You don't do, treat her cruelly but come to church and treat the people a different way when you're in a business deal or something like that and it goes awry, you always remember, do good to all men. Do good to all men. Not just in the household of God, but in the whole world. And that's the two-fold test. It is easy to love people in the family of God. It's difficult sometimes to love people out there in the world the way they treat us. But at the same time, we do good to all men. And that good is that which benefits them. And, of course, kalos has to be factored in. That which is purely good. That which comes from God himself. In other words, we say, yes, Lord. I had a little sign that I've had for years. And right now it's been misplaced. I'm trying to find it. It says, yes, Lord. And I love that. People have asked me before, well, what, what's the question, Wayne? I see the answer. And I said, it doesn't matter what the question is. Yes, Lord. I've already solved the issue. I want to say yes to him no matter what he puts into my life. And that's the, way, that's, that's the way we're supposed to live is what Paul said. Do I do it all the time? No. But that's my heart. And that's your heart. We want to be doing good to all men at all times. And then we begin to experience his life in us. Galatians 2.20. For it's not me, but it's who living in me? It's Christ living in me. And he, remember he said to the, that man one day who asked him a question, he said, why do you call me good? Only God is good in other words that purity of that work that that beauty of what's being done has got to come from him he's the one who produces it in our life and we begin to experience that not just within the body but even out there in the world he makes us sensitive to another brother and we can go right down through the list of chapter of chapter six i guess my, my 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 heart this morning is as we continue in galatians is that we're just now in 2004 It's the 50th year of our history as a church. What a time. What a time. The staff's coming together. I'm just so excited that Terry's here and the the people. We've got more ministry experience on this staff right now than I have ever had since I've been in ministry. A team that God's putting together. A maturity that God's putting together. The elders will be next Sunday. You will see the names that will go in this first wave. And uh, and in 30 days from that time, we'll have our elders. And and God's just putting things together. But I think at the same time, it's not by coincidence we're in Galatians when he says, now, remember, remember, sow in the right field. And if you'll sow in the right field, remember the temptations to go back and do it your way. Don't do that. Don't do that. You just keep trusting God in the midst of it all. The trap, the temptation, and the test. I just want to encourage you as to the main point he brings out in chapter 6. Don't be discouraged when you don't see results right away. Just remember, you sow the good seed, it will come up at a certain time. But we don't know when that's going to be. I've shared with you many times about my dear friend, Dory Van Stone. Dory worked with the Indians in, in Irian Jara. When she went into the outback, like, I mean, it, it, was an, it was an area where cannibals, and she was there eight years. Her children got so sick, she had to come off of the mission field. And as a result of it, she told me, she said, Wayne, I saw no one come to know Christ. Matter of fact, when I first met Dory, she said, we saw no one come to Christ she said one time they brought a pig these pagans they lived up in the middle of the jungles and they brought a pig to her and cut it open that night and took the blood and smeared it all over and said dory we are one because of the blood of the pig and she said she wept and wept and wept said god when will they understand it's not by the blood of a pig it's by the blood of the precious lamb of god that makes us one but she never saw a convert never saw a convert her husband, Lloyd, they came off of the field because of the sickness of their children. He finally was out jogging one day and died of a heart attack. He never got to hear what I'm about to tell you. I was at Precept Ministries one day when Dory was there. She lived on the campus there. And she came running out. She saw me and she said, Wayne, look at this letter. Look at this letter. And the letter was from the chief of the Donnie tribe. The Donnie tribe was who they worked with. And they said, we would like to invite you to come to, the, to this area where you worked for eight years, and we want to, we've made a statue dedicated to Lloyd, your husband, and to the chief at that time, and they had both of them holding their Bibles up, and in the letter it said, Dory, there are over 250,000 believers now in the Donnie tribe. They have become the leading evangelist in all of this area of the world, and Dory stood there with his tears streaming down her face, and she said, I just thought it would never happen, and Paul says, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary, because you will reap in what? In due season. Don't back off. You trust God. Sow the good. You don't see a result, that's fine. You'll experience the joy of Jesus just knowing him. But the good will come. Keep sowing good seed. As 2004 stares us in the face. For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.